What's up everyone? Once again, good morning and welcome to our online Sunday morning Water's Edge worship experience. Thank you so much for hanging out with us today and thank you so much for joining in. Once again, for those of you that continue to tell your friends and family about these online services and you share these services with them, we hope it's helpful. Thank you so much for doing that. We have people that tune in from all over the place. And again, for those of you that watch and you continue to give online, thank you so much for your generosity. This past Thursday, we were able to have food pantry. We were able to serve and love and give food to tons of people in our community because of God's love and because of you. So again, thank you so much for being generous. Today, we continue with our current series entitled The Human Experience. In a quick recap, once again, this study has been all about the different feelings and emotions that you and I face and how does God want us to deal with those overwhelming emotions in our life. Now, in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 25, the missionary Paul says this, so stop telling lies. Let us tell our neighbors the truth, for we are all parts of the same body. We're all connected to each other. And so all throughout the narrative of the scripture, we see this truth and we see this principle, and this is what it is. Be honest. Be honest with yourself about what you're going through. Be honest with the people around you that love you about what you're going through. And be honest in your relationship with Jesus, with God, about what you're going through. Be honest about your feelings, your battles, your struggles, and yes, your emotions. But that raises a question, do we even know how? I have spent years as a pastor studying what it means to be human, what it means to be a human that deeply connects with yourself, that deeply connects with others, and that deeply connects with God. In the Sermon on the Mount, in the New Testament, we are given the greatest commandment, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, and mind. And we're also given the second, which is equal, love your neighbor as yourself. One of the reasons why we study this human condition is because as humans, we're trying to connect with God, love God with all that we have, follow Jesus with all that we have, and then love our neighbors as ourselves. And so this is a true conclusion. If you're still with me, say, I'm still with you. There is nothing more human than our emotions. And the problem is this. We know very little about our emotions and we have very little words and language to draw on to explain our emotions, to talk about with ourselves and to others and with God what it is that we're feeling and what it is that we're going through. It seems like, as I observe, and if you would think about this too, it seems like many times you and I struggle with finding the right words and descriptions to talk about what we're going through, what we're experiencing, the heaviness in our life, our feelings, and our emotions. We are emotional beings. We make emotional decisions. We are not thinking machines who on occasion stumble into emotion, and then when we do, because we had a bad day, we stand up, we flick those emotions off, and we get right back to our normal thinking selves. No, we are uh, emotional machines who on occasion think, and so we are emotional beings who make emotional decisions, and this is going to help us understand a lot about the human experience. The human experience is all about how we think, feel, behave, and show up. It's all about how we think, how that leads us to feel and then behave and then show up. Now, what's that saying? It's about to get real. Well, today I want us to get real for just a little bit because today this is what I want us to talk about. And notice this today, if you're still with me, Sam, still with you. Where are the places that we go when we compare? 
when you and I compare ourselves to other people in this life, where are the places that we go in our mind, in our feeling, in our emotions, in our soul, and in our heart when we fall into this trap of comparing? Well, here they are. Here are the places that we go in our emotions when we compare. So let's jump right on into the deep waters. If you're still with me, say I'm still with you. We go to the place of comparison, then envy, jealousy, resentment, shaming joy or getting joy from the, uh, the troubles of others, admiration, reverence, and irreverence. Now, let me ask you this. How many of you know this feeling? How many of you know this trap and temptation of comparing yourselves to other people. Listen, when I go to the gym, I can't even run on a treadmill that's next to someone else running on the treadmill. Whether they're 23 or 83, if I'm next to them, I'm gonna race them. We compare even when we don't realize it. We compare even when we don't want to. Now, understand this. This is very important. If you're still with me, Sam's still with you. Experts, social scientists tell us this. They believe this, that comparing is not a choice. You and I have to understand that we are hardwired to compare. We will always do this. We will always compare ourselves to other people. The main choice that we have is this, and notice this today, we need to be aware of it and how we're gonna let it affect us. But it's not a choice. And that's really hard for us to get our head around. Now, here's a good way to define comparison, the place and the emotion of comparison, comparing ourselves to others. It's the crush of conformity from one side and competition from the other side. Basically, comparison is this. It's trying to fit in and stand out at the same time. Sounds exhausting, doesn't it? For example, you and I do not care if our kids are doing better and behaving better than most kids in general. We don't care about that. What we really care about and what we only care about is if they're doing better and behaving better than our neighbor's kids. Let me say that again. We don't care if our kids are doing better than most kids in general. We just want them to do better than our neighbor's kids. We have this comparison temptation to want to fit in and be a part at the same time be better and stand out from everyone else. And that is the crush. This can crush us. It's the crush of comparison. Psychologists will let you know that when you're standing in your yard and you look at your neighbor's yard, the grass actually looks greener on the other side. It's the physics of it. It's the way the blades grow, the way the sun hits them. When you're in your yard and you look at your neighbor's yard, the grass is greener on the other side. And because it is, you have to ask yourself this question, what's the right choice? What's gonna be your choice? For instance, why is it our tendency when someone close to us excels at something that we want to excel at. And when they do excel at something that we want to excel at, and we're not excelling at it just yet, that causes us to want to give up. It's because of comparison. Now let me ask you this. How do we tell ourselves, I'm aware that I'm comparing, so what choice, what right choice do I need to make next? How do we tell ourselves that? Now, remember this. If you're still with me, say I'm still with you. When we engage in upward social comparison, we compare ourselves to someone who's performing better than we are. And so upward comparison is when you compare yourself to someone who's doing or performing better than you are. But downward comparison, and remember this, is when we compare ourselves to someone who's performing worse than we are. So this is why we have to point this out. Because we are hardwired to compare upward and downward. Notice this today. If you're still with me, Sam, I'm still with you. 
Most of us either look up or down at people, but we rarely look equal or in the middle. Now, both types of social comparison can result in both negative and positive effects in our life. It can either inspire you or scar you deeply. And because this is something we need to be aware of, we think it's a long walk in our heart, in our life, and in our emotions. We think it's a long walk from thinking I'm better than everyone to I'm a worthless piece of nothing. We think it's a long journey from I think I'm better than everyone to I am nothing. But in reality, both of those things are happening inside of you at the same time. Comparison is dangerous because you're not looking at you through you. You're looking at you through them by comparing yourselves to them or what they have that you don't. It's not a choice, but we can be aware of it and name it. And once we're aware of it, we can make better decisions because, and remember this today, if you're still with me, Sam's still with you. Be like everyone else, but better will always be problematic in your life. Be like everyone else, but better will always lead you to be crushed with this emotion of comparison. Now, let's move on. If you're still with me, Sam's still with you to envy and jealousy. If someone showed you their vacation pics to Greece in the middle of the pandemic shutdown, and you were to start feeling a certain way as you're looking at those pictures, and you were to say to them, man, that makes me feel so, what would come to your mind? Most would say jelly or jealous, but that's not jealousy that you feel in the middle of a pandemic shutdown and your friend leaves and goes to Greece and takes a vacation and then in the middle of the, the shutdown, they show you those pictures of the vacation. This is what we really feel. It's not jealousy, it's envy. And there's a big difference. Notice this today. Envy involves two people and occurs when one lacks something enjoyed by another. That means this, you would like to enjoy what they are enjoying. That's envy, when you would like to enjoy what they are enjoying. But now here's jealousy. Jealousy involves three people and occurs when one fears losing someone or something to another. And so this isn't about you wanting what they have or wanting to enjoy something like they're enjoying. That's envy. This is you fear losing what you have to them. That's jealousy. In the early 90s, this band called Pearl Jam put out a song called Black. And at one point in the song, the lyrics say this, it's about this painful breakup and the jealousy that it produces afterwards. And this is what the lyrics say. I know someday you'll have a beautiful life. I hope you'll be the star in somebody else's sky. But why can't it be mine? That's the painful crush of jealousy. Remember this today if you're still with me. Sam's still with you. Envy and jealousy revolt from, uh, result from different situations. They produce different feelings and they produce different emotional experiences. Now, this is what makes envy so tricky. If you're still with me, Sam's still with you. There's two different types. Number one, there's plain envy. That looks amazing. How was it? I don't, want to, I don't want to take it away from you. I would just like to enjoy something like that too. So this is plain envy. That looks amazing. How was it? I don't want you not to have it. I would just like to have something like that too. That's plain envy. But then this is malicious envy. You didn't deserve it. I do. 
I want it, and I wouldn't mind taking it away from you. So that's malicious envy. Do you see what I mean by comparing isn't really a choice? The only choice we have is to make better decisions with it. And looking at these two different types of envy, plain envy, that looks amazing. How was it? I would like something like that too. Or malicious envy, you didn't deserve that. I do. I want to take it away from you. What would be the better choice? Plain envy, because that's almost like you're celebrating with them. Now, let's move on to the next one. Jealousy again, something else we need to understand. Jealousy can involve three people, but not always the loss of a person, but also the loss of something else, like a good friend's time that they have with you when another new friend comes into their life, or you can lose that feeling of being someone else's favorite if they develop a new friendship and it makes you feel jealous. And so to make this easier, understand this. If you're still with me, Sam, still with you. Envy occurs when we want something that another has, but jealousy occurs when we fear losing a relationship or a valued part of a relationship that we already have to something or someone else. Makes sense? So we have to be aware enough when we feel these certain emotions to make better choices, better choices with our envy and better choices as we face jealousy. Now, let's move on to the next place that we go. This is what it is, resentment. An emotion we often experience when we fail to set boundaries, when we fail to ask for what we need, or when, we, uh, when expectations let us down because they were based on things that we can't control, like what other people think, what they feel, or how they're going to react. I struggled with this, but you have to understand that resentment is not from the anger family. We think resentment is from the anger family because resentment makes us seem angry, but experts will actually tell you that resentment doesn't come from anger, it comes from envy. You're taking the weekend off. I'm not mad because you're not working. I'm mad because I don't get to take the weekend off. You see what I mean? So envy holds a knife to your throat, but you're the one holding it there. And in one certain area, resentment, because of envy, is tough, and it's the area of family. I'm having to do this all by myself. I'm having to do what you're not. You are being irresponsible, so I have to be responsible for your irresponsibility, and so now there's family resentment. Do you see how this is a function of envy? I'm having to do what you're not. One solution is this. If you're still with me, Sam, still with you. Choose discomfort over resentment by setting boundaries. And this is what I mean. You will have to have some very uncomfortable conversations in your life and in your relationships to set boundaries. But if you don't, then resentment is gonna build. And so that feeling of being uncomfortable and having those uncomfortable boundary setting conversations will be worth it to lessen the resentment in your life. You know those clips you can find on YouTube? of those kids being invited to a birthday party. And there's always that one kid at the party who wants to blow out the candles instead of the birthday kid. He always tries, or she always tries to get to the candles first. These candle blower outers. Well, we have some candle blowers in our life and we can be that way too. They try to dim our light. Sometimes we even try to dim our own light. Sometimes we will dim our own light around someone who's jealous just because we don't want to make them more jealous. And honestly, because we feel all these things, I feel like this would be a good idea to visit this passage in the scripture right now. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses four through seven. Understand that the book of 1 John says that God is love. And then right here, the missionary says, this is what love is. 
Love is patient and kind. It's not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It's not irritable. It keeps no record of being wrong. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith. It's always hopeful. It endures through every circumstance. Love does not lead you to be jealous or arrogant or rude or a list keeper of the past. Understand what the text is saying right here. And this is what it is. If you're still with me, Sam, still with you. Let love lead you to make better emotional decisions. Love is patient and kind. Let love lead you to make better emotional decisions, the missionary is saying right here. We're going to come back to that in a second, but first, let me reset the table in this way. Next is this, something that we call shameful joy. There's a German word for it that I can't really uh, pronounce, so we're going to call it shameful joy, and this is what it means getting pleasure or joy derived from someone else's suffering or misfortune. Now, we all secretly do this. This shameful joy is a result of a fragile ego and pride. Now, get this. Something I need you to understand. It's very seductive when a group does this, this shameful joy. This is when we get along because we hate the same people. Churches and social groups do this all the time. So here's a good question to ask yourself. Are the tribes that you're a part of do this? Do the tribes that you're a part of in your life find common ground and common unity over the same enemy and hating the same enemy? That is shameful joy. And this is never how Jesus' followers should connect with other people. Going back to our text, love is not irritable. It keeps no record of being wrong. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love is when instead of comparing and getting pleasure out of someone else's misfortune, you celebrate their joy when they have joy. Their joy gives you joy. Let's not be the type of people that rejoice when someone else faces injustice. People who love people and love God do not rejoice when someone else faces injustice, but instead we take joy in their joy. It's like when you score and you immediately thank the person who passed you the ball and the coach who called the play. We all take joy in everyone else's joy. Surround yourself with people who don't blow out your candles. Surround yourself with people who are going to protect your light. Now, we've saved the best places that we go for last. The places that we go when we compare these emotions, and this is what they are. And these are very complex if you're still with me. So I'm still with you. Admiration and reverence. Notice this today. We feel admiration when someone's abilities, accomplishments, or character inspires us, or when we see something that inspires us, like art or nature or faith. How many of you feel this at times? This can be great because this is the great thing about admiration. Admiration doesn't make you want to be better than them, but instead they inspire you and it makes you want to be better than what you currently are. Admiration doesn't make you want to be better than them. It just makes you want to be better. But now reverence is different, and this is what reverence is. Sometimes called adoration, worship, veneration. It's a deeper form of admiration or respect, and is often combined with a sense of meaning in connection with something greater than ourselves. So when you think about reverence 
and worship and respect and this greater sense of admiration, what's the first word that comes to your mind when you think about worship and reverence? God. How many of you have ever felt guilty for having questions about what we were taught to reverence? And that's okay. God is worthy of our reverence and adoration and worship. But that must be something that's personal and real to you. You can't just do it because the outward crowd says, this is how we reverence and worship God. And if you don't do it like us, if you don't worship and reverence God like us, then you're just not right. So let's look at this again. This is the opposite, irreverent, not showing expected respect for official, important, or holy things. But church is not God. Religion is not Jesus. Preachers, priests, and teachers are not perfect, and they are not God. And so questioning them is not the same thing as questioning God. And I don't mind if people question me, because if you're not allowed to question or challenge something, that it doesn't deserve admiration or reverence. I don't mind if people question me, because when I change my mind, I feel like I always change my mind for the better. And so if you question me, and that can get me to change my mind, then I'm always going to be better. But because some appearances of reverence can seem like an outward admiration show, notice this. This is a better decision with reverence. This is what it is. We should privilege our relationship with God over what the outward show is supposed to be. Christ created you and I as individuals with individual feelings and emotions and hearts. And God is love. God is love. And this is what love is once again. 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7. Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It doesn't demand its own way. It's not irritable. It keeps no record of being wrong. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up never loses faith, is always hopeful. It endures through every circumstance. Do you see how love causes us to make better emotional decisions? Loving Jesus, following Jesus, worshiping Jesus will not take your negative emotions away, but it'll lead us to love better, make better choices when that nasty temptation of comparison causes us to go down the wrong pathway. So let's love with all that we got. Thank you so much for tuning in today. Thank you so much for hanging out. We love you all and we cannot wait to see you back next week. By the way, our doors are back open. We are back in-house, live and in person. So if you're ever free and local, come hang out with us in person. You will love the experience. Can't wait to see you back.